Hello and welcome to Sterile Device Packaging on Track Radio. My name is Charlie Webb and I will be your host today. And today is a very special show here at Spot Radio. I get to interview my brother and not just my brother, but my identical twin brother. Yes, scary enough, there's two of us. So let's get to know Nick. Nick has been described as one of the world's leading innovation strategists and futurists. Nick can often be found on stage delivering one of his spellbinding lectures to a sold-out audience. Nick has been recognized as one of the top trending keynote speakers for 2019. As the CEO of Leader Logic, he works with Fortune 500 companies throughout the world to help them lead their industries in innovation, strategy, and customer experience. Nicholas has been awarded over 40 patents by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for breakthrough technologies in a wide range of industrial and consumer products, including one of the world's smallest medical device implants. A prolific writer and number one best-selling author, his most recent book, What Customers Crave, is used by top brands to design their customer experience and innovation strategies. In recognition for his contribution to healthcare innovation and policy, Nicholas was awarded an honorary doctorate from Western University of Health Sciences. He is also the founding chief innovation officer, CIO, for the Center for Innovation at Western U, one of the world's most comprehensive health science universities. So before we get Nick on the phone, I just want to give sort of a bird's eye view of what uh, we'll be discussing today. One of the things we want to cover here is sort of Nick's wheelhouse is disruptive innovation. And disruptive innovation uh, was a term that was coined by Clayton Christensen. And uh, on his website, he describes uh, disruptive innovation as a process by which a product or service takes root initially in a simple application at the bottom of a market and then relentlessly moves up the market, eventually displacing established competitors. We're going to talk a little bit about how those changes are happening in healthcare, where it's sort of a paradigm shift in terms of how we innovate and how we become competitive. And although we're moving a little bit away from our standard discussions on sterile device uh, package in terms of regulatory stuff and machinery and all that, I think it's important for us as medical device packaging engineers uh, to be able to listen to innovation um, discussions to talk about how delivery of devices oftentimes um, is the real competitive advantage. Sometimes it's not the product at all, but rather just how that product is delivered and what opportunities we may have as packaging engineers to change with that paradigm and disruptive innovation. We're also going to talk a little bit about uh, the voice of the customer, the so-called VOC. Something that we uh, oftentimes forget in uh, healthcare packaging is that we seem to move towards the um, the end user, and obviously that's the person that's going to be opening up our, our uh, pouch and uh, critical theater, surgical theater. But more than that, we need to look at... Um, all stops. Uh, obviously, we have to look at how that device is being carried along the distribution channels all the way safely to the point of care, but we have to look at patient metrics as well as caregiver metrics, and I think uh, we need to have a good broad stroke to look at voice of the customer sort of issues. So on the phone, I have, uh, as I said, my identical twin brother, Nick Webb, and Nick, thanks for joining me. Good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? Great. Well, let's jump right into it. And uh, I'm going to ask you the first big question. What is the impact of disruption on medical device technologies? 
I, I think probably disruption or disruptive innovation is the single most impactful phenomenon that is effect, affecting really the medical device industry. And really the best way to look at disruption is that disruption is really the speed and the size of innovation that's happening within the medical device industry. You know, it used to be we could develop a technology, we'd have very long product life cycles, but because of disruption, the, the fact that we now have enabling technologies, that we have connection architecture, and we have these fast cycle times, you know, innovators today in the medical device space really need to, to recognize that speed and the size of innovation has changed really dramatically. And, and ultimately, we have to bake those changes into the way in which we leverage agile methodologies, fast track methodologies, the way in which we really get better insights more quickly. You know, ultimately, what we have to do is we have to be better at innovation today because the organizations that have not really retooled their innovation infrastructure structure to the speed and the size of change, those organizations are really losing market share. They're not really serving their customer. And ultimately, they're at risk of having some really bad things happen. Right. And, you know, I, I've spoke before about a lot of cultures that uh, have really sort of an incestuous mindset. They don't look outside their company. And as a result of that, they're using old methods that worked 15 years ago. And I remember you and I, when we were working in microsurgical devices, where if we were prototyping something, it would have to go to a prototyping company. They would use a, uh, an old lathe to put it together. Now with 3D printing, I mean, the whole landscape has changed in terms of innovation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, is that uh, it's uh, the, the not invented here syndrome is dead in all companies that are surviving. You know, the truth of the matter is, is crowdsourcing, uh, you know, definitely open innovation and new FFE methodologies are really providing an opportunity for great organizations to fill their innovation funnel more quickly through a lot of disparate sources. I think another thing from a cultural perspective is that we really need our customer-facing stakeholders to really provide the insights, leveraging collaborative networks like enterprise social networks to be able to, to reach out and build challenges to get our, our patient-facing and our customer-facing stakeholders to participate in the game of innovation. I was recently working with an orthopedics company, and I was really surprised to find that their leadership and their their project managers and their product managers hadn't been in an orthopedic surgery orthopedic surgical uh, procedure in thirty years. Yeah. And here they are, the ones that are supposed to be developing. So I, I really think that today is a time for openness, uh, certainly open innovation, crowdsourcing, collaborative innovation. All of these things are not buzzwords. They're the bread and butter of the best organizations in the world. And, you know, I think you see in management styles, there is a collision. I, I'm an older guy. I'm 60 years old. So guys like us that came from a, a different era are coming up against the younger guys, and they have a completely different idea, different culture, and there's a clash there. So what we tend to be more conservative, more slow to roll out, um, that's what we sort of um, got used to, where they're more innovative, the new, the now, they're the early adopters. Do you see that culture clash between the, the, the two sort of mindsets in medical device development? It's incredible. In fact, uh, our consulting firm did a survey of 125 of the top uh, executives within healthcare. And what we found was, is these organizations, talking to these leaders, we asked them, you know, can you tell us how important disruption is going to be to the future of your enterprise? And literally 100% of them said that it was critical to the future of their enterprise. And then when we asked them, what is disruption? 
none of them were able to give us an actionable insight. So the point is, is that they theoretically believe the concept of change, but they're not able to really make that shift. At least those, those leaders that are not driving the right organizations are not making the cultural shift from authoritarianism, this sort of competitive scarcity view from the view that they need to have, which is one of collaboration and co-creation. It turns out in my, my latest book, The Innovation Mandate, what I found was is that organizations that had great glass door ratings, meaning that the people that work there love their jobs, one of the major reasons that they love their jobs is that they were given the cultural opportunity to try stuff, to innovate, and even to fail. And that's really a very, very big shift. And I'll tell you one other thing I discovered. I call it the difference between sameness and differentness, right? I find that the failing leaders are committed to their legacy idea of the speed and the nature of the healthcare industry, whereas the differentness leaders are the ones that realize that it has changed and that the differentness that's happening outside their red brick buildings is really mandating that they develop new systems and methods and tools and processes, even philosophies and cultures, in order to square up with the rate of change. And that's that's hard to make that that leap, I think, for a lot of uh, medical device technologists. You indicated the speed and the size are the two big elements of disruption. Uh, how does that impact the technology uh, innovator? Well, you know, we used to have the benefit of uh, having a lot more time to go through these really bad. I mean, when I talk to most technologists, they're still using stage gate methodologies. They're still using VOC methodologies. So if you're a medical technologist and you're using outdated, old-fashioned VOC methods and, out, in my opinion, outdated methods like stage gate methods, which are really a risk-centric evaluation tool, you're screwed because you're not going to get where you need to go. We have to be able to leverage far better insights to find out what the customer wants. And that those in, better insights are not only more accurate, they're faster. So I find that the best organizations are leveraging um, agile best practices practices at our center for innovation at Western U. All of our all of our team members are going through, you know, agile, you know, scrum master programs. There, everything that we do is based on sprints. So 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 you have to make, you know, it's easy for a medical technologist or an R&D department within healthcare to argue that they are a highly regulated organization and therefore they get to they get to justify risk centrism. But if you are risk centric, you will fail. The best organizations have shift risk centrism to opportunity centrism. Of course, we have to comply. Of course, we have to be safe. Of course, we have to do the things to make certain that we're developing efficacious clinical instruments. But the truth of the matter is that is no excuse not to be fast and not to go big. And what I find is most organizations are using regulation and risk management as the mother of all excuses to not go big and not go fast. You see that all the time. And, you know, thought leaders like uh, Seth Godin say the biggest danger is in safety. And I think a lot of that conservative vision that we've all had in the development of medical devices. And you mentioned a minute ago, VOC. It's interesting, medical device companies, the voice of the customer, I think there's some confusion because the customer has been the, um, when, is the clinician. So we're making a medical device and this person has to use our device. But isn't the, really the customer the, the patient in these cases? I mean, are we, are we firewalling and losing track of who really is the, the customer and we're going down some dirt roads, it feels like sometimes. 
Right. Well, and I, I think that if you look at great organizations, and I have the great honor of researching many of them in my book, is that you find that the first thing that they do is they identify, they identify their persona targets. You know, who are the real stakeholders of this innovation? And they're not looking at them from the perspective of the old-fashioned market demography. They're looking at what do these different stakeholders love and hate about technologies, right? And, you know, today we live in an experience economy. And that means that we have to deliver uh, technologies and solutions that don't just deliver clinical results. They also have to deliver a good experience for supply chain, a good experience for the, pri- the care provider. They have to deliver a good experience for the patient. So we don't target you know, one monolithic uh, uh, customer when we do this right. We identify stakeholders that we target to. And then we even go beyond that. We get very three-dimensional. Then once we identify who these various stakeholders are and what their personas are, then we have to take a look at the usage journey or the customer journey. What are those five touch points in the way in which a customer will use these technologies and how can we identify that we're delivering across those five touch points? So it used to be in the old VOC days and I, you know, as, as an early medical technologist, I can remember doing this, would say, I mean, oftentimes we would develop technologies based on how we got reimbursed. I mean, literally modern medicine was created based on third party providers, how much money they would pay. We wouldn't look at where there was a big market. We wouldn't look at where there was a big clinical need. Need, we would look where there was a big reimbursement opportunity. And I really believe that that is changing. And, and, and some of the market shifts that are going to drive that is value-based healthcare and total population health. We're going to get a point where, you know, the benefits of your technology and your intervention have to be compared to doing nothing. Right. They have to be compared to, to, you know, to other far less expensive approaches. So there's going to be higher cost scrutiny. There's going to be higher value scrutiny. And so using old fashioned one dimensional flat analysis like DOC is just a really, really bad idea. Yeah, you, you, you really uh, touched on when you talked about third party reimbursement. I mean, remember uh, when we're talking about utilization review departments um, where they're actually uh, rewarded if they, they don't spend money. And so that became a very difficult challenge in, in your coming book and innovation mandate, you talk about the importance of building out an innovation infrastructure. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, I've uh, been doing this a long time and what I find is, I mean, it's kind of a worn out slogan or axiom, but you know, as it suggests, you know, planning, failing to plan is planning to fail. It's amazing to me, as I was looking across many different organizations, across many different industries, it turns out that the organizations that are winning at innovation and winning at sustainable growth and winning at future readiness, those organizations took the time and the effort and the resources to build out the proper innovation infrastructure, which means that they identified leadership with innovation. They identified the goals and the mission of their innovation initiative. They created the systems and the collaborative tools to be able to collaborate, which is an important part of how we drive sustainable innovation. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that in order to win at this, you have to really do it for real. Most organizations, it's a bumper sticker and a slogan. And, you know, that's that's dangerous. And not only is it dangerous in the fact that it's not effective, it also, your employees want to be involved in a mission that matters. There's no greater mission than the mission of providing efficacious, safe clinical care to patients. When you can articulate that mission and support it with collaborative innovation methodologies, your quality of work soars, 
you attract and keep the best talent, and you consistently deliver the best technologies and services to the marketplace. There, there seems to be a systemic um, a sort of a, a culture at a lot of medical device manufacturing companies. We have 2,000 medical device manufacturers in our customer list. And you can see a sick organization all the way down to the delivery end. I mean, we're in the packaging side here. And we can see even broken packaging uh, systems and all the way back up through that chain. You And you're coming in as a consultant. So what, what are you looking for when you're coming into a company? And what are these this sort of dangerous uh, attributes of a sick corporate culture? Culture that is not going to create the sort of uh, success that uh, they're hoping for. And they, I, th- I think a lot of times they're looking for a magic uh, pill from you. And so how do you, de- what do you deliver to them and what are you looking for? Well, you know, what we do at uh, Leader Logic is we do an actual process where we, it's a three-step process. We begin with an innovation readiness assessment. And then from there, we build out an innovation roadmap. And then from there, we actually assist in the deployment of that roadmap. During the innovation readiness assessment, we look at about 50 different things. You know, how the organization, you know, what's their risk uh, appetite, right? What is their, what, how are they currently collaborating with, with problem opportunities and innovation-facing stakeholders? What does, you know, what are the kinds of um, cultural barriers that, uh, that, that typically cause these things to fit? How do they, what methods do they use to internally communicate and and, uh, brand internal initiatives? So there's many different elements to this. You know, there are two things that kill an innovation initiative. One is that it is incomplete, meaning that they say, well, we'll put up, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take one of our offices, we'll put some beanbag chairs in there with a whiteboard, and we'll, we'll call it Google and say that we're innovators. And, you know, typically that is the biggest reason why uh, innovation fails to organizations. They, the truth of the matter is they just took a swipe at it. They were never really, really committed to it. I recently did a talk for one of the largest automotive manufacturers in the world, and it was the launch of their innovation initiative. And it was an amazing event. There were, I mean, there were maybe 3,500 people in the audience. There were big banners about their commitment to innovation. At the end of the event, I asked the person how much they had spent on the event. And she told me $7 million to launch their innovation initiative. And then I asked them how much money did they spend on innovation? And the answer was zero. Wow. Right. So when you're, when you're, you know, you know, saying ain't doing, and you've got to really commit to this stuff, most organizations really never make that commitment and really to their detriment. You know, the, um, I guess there's a sweet spot. So, and I've seen this from uh, device companies where, you know, where, where's that magic number where you have to have products and innovation because what your core device that you're selling may, that's the cash cow. It's making the money for the company. So you have to have something in the hopper that's going to back up when this thing reaches the end of a patent at the end of its uh, life cycle or the competitive environment changes so much. Now you're backed into a corner, the price of the product drops or the marketplace drops for it. So I've seen companies that maybe over innovate they have so many things going that can't seem to organize their innovation plan to be able to say hey you know this i think uh, wasn't it uh, uh steve jobs it says art ships at one point you need to get out of the innovation 
loop and quit being busy at whiteboards and ideas that never reach fruition. I mean, in our industry, we're looking at uh, FDA uh, approval, 510K approval. So we have to have some long tail developmental cycles where we can't just come up with an idea, test it in the market. We have to make sure it's an efficacious device and it's going to have the care to the customer or patient that we expect. On the other hand, you see the ones that have nothing in the works. Uh, they're only fixing, they're adding bells and whistles to a current device that they have, but they don't seem to, where's the magic spot? Where do you, how much percentage of your effort should be put into innovation? Well, I think that the key is you have to have a good innovation operating system. And I talk about that in chapter eight of my book that, you know, you have to have a pipeline that allows you to fail fast, get rid of stuff quickly that doesn't really have the chance to make it to market. And then as you go down that uh, developmental pipeline, really optimize that innovation that you are committed to by really taking it to the to the next level. So the best organizations have a very thoughtful innovation pipeline that that really spits out lame ideas quickly so that you can move towards the development of those commercially. And and the, and really the key to that means fail fast. Get get the ideas that you've been churning on out of your pipeline so you can leverage those resources. There, there's sort of a disruptive curve that happens, which is kind of interesting. You probably see it across the scope of your customers. You know, we start our companies because we're very customer centric. And then we start to build a little bit of innovation within our organization so we can invent cool stuff for the customers. Then we start to move into operation mode and then we move into complacency mode and then disruption happens and then we die, right? So the key is to kind of churn around customer-centric innovation, but to build out the right kind of pipeline to quickly spit out ideas that don't have the opportunity to make it to market. That way you don't have a lot of stuff in your developmental pipeline. So is disruption catching on? I mean, is it uh, all the cool kids doing it yet or is it still sort of an up and coming phenomenon? I mean, here, I hear about disruption, but it doesn't seem to be in the the main curve right now. We, we just, yeah, again, the, I mean, the, what, what seems to be happening most commonly, and this isn't just in healthcare, is that the cool kids that are very customer centric, that are creating really cool innovations, they're uh, getting acquired, right? So the large organizations are innovating by strategic acquisition, right? <laughs> they're saying, yeah, exactly. Screw it. we don't know how to, inno- we don't know how to innovate. We're going to buy stuff from innovators. The problem is you pay a lot of money for that. And you also, it's probably not a sustainable model. I think I think the, the best thing for people to keep in mind is there are three things that are the motive force of disruption. Number one is hyper-consumerization. It doesn't matter if you're selling something to a consumer or you're selling something to a, a care provider or to central person in supply. You're selling an experience. And the best organizations are building new innovations, not so much just from their bright, shiny objects, but the way in which they're inventing new human experiences and convenience and ease of purchasing. So the greatest uh, opportunities, I think, for most people within the healthcare space is to look at innovation systemically, not just the way we build up bright, shiny objects, but the way in which we invent better human experiences. Uh, the other things that really is driving uh, disruption is in the, is enabling technologies and connection architecture. If you take a look at a lot of the technologies that are that are out there today, they're leveraging connection architecture and the enablement of new emerging technologies to be able to add more value to their device. And then lastly is conspicuous and transparent value, because that's what the economic engine of healthcare will be requiring in the future, far better conspicuous value uh, when compared to competitive technologies or compared to doing nothing at all. 
and and you see you know disruption in a very practical level you know the think about uh you know your ki- your kids going to get braces you know that was five or six thousand dollars and you probably had to make 30 trips to the orthodontist today for half the money you can get braces sent to you in the form of the uh you know the the, the new visaline essentially uh since they're off patent now you got all these companies where for twenty five hundred dollars your kids have braces what does that do to you know to those uh those technologies opternative the new technology that allows people to get refracted online instead of going to their optometrist so again you see most of disruption is leveraging connection architecture emerging technologies to deliver more patient and caregiver provider and you know when they're in the ideation mode and you hit on it right there it's not always a product um, feature and i think a lot of medical device companies get hung up <clears throat> sometimes you know we hit a cul-de-sac we can only innovate so much that device has been so cooked up by you and your competition there's nowhere to go so a lot of times it's just a matter of a delivery i mean look uh, uber is still a car that picks you up it's not yellow and but they they sort of crowdsourced uh, cars and gave you a different delivery system. Nothing really new there other than the delivery. The car remains the same. The drive remains the same. So really, uh, you need to look at uh, innovation and, and far more than just the device. But again, the delivery system, a lot of medical devices that we see right now are the same thing, but with a different angle. Yeah, I mean, I think that the one thing that I always tell people is that innovation is easy. The hard part is knowing what to innovate. So, you know, as you mentioned earlier, one of the biggest problems, you could argue that creativity and innovation is the biggest problem in in uh, in business today, because out of the 3,000 patents that are issued each week, only about 2% of them ever have any success. So that means that you know, the overwhelming majority, 98% of the innovations that we work on are losers and they're never going to make it. So I think the key is, is that we have to be much better about getting better market and consumer insights. We need to be more thoughtful about the front end of this process. And and that's why I think VOC, I mean, my gosh, I, I've seen, I, I recently read a, a 380 page VOC analysis of a potential technology. And the more you read it, the lower your IQ was. It was just so bad. And it basically said nothing. I think, you know, the the superstars, they're, they're, they're collaborating with the people who are facing this all the time. I'll give you a, a perfect example of, of innovation done wrong and, 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 and how you fix it. I was the, the keynote speaker for the American Nursing Association, and there were 3,000 nurses in this audience. And I asked them two very basic questions. I said, number one, do you guys see really broken things in your hospital or clinic that could result in patient safety? that needs to be fixed immediately. And every single one of those nurses, without exception, raised their hand. They see broken things every day, the foot soldiers. And I said, let me ask you one more question. Has anybody, a manager, a leader, an executive, has anybody asked you your opinion on how you can invent a better solution to these things that you see every day that's broken? Not one hand was raised in the audience. So when we think about innovation, we got to get a lot better about collaborating with people that see the problem, that see the opportunities and see the needs so that as we begin to to leverage those insights, we can create something that really is on target. 
Um, and, and so oftentimes I, when I see people building their little innovation center, it's usually scary because chances are they didn't bring in the intelligence necessary to really build it. And sometimes I, I must say, you know, I, I do innovation management consulting. I must say that there's a lot of damage being done by consultants, right? Because um, when a consultant comes in, they will typically bring in more layers of bureaucracy, more complexity to, court, to that sort of black box to justify their fees. So you got to be really careful about even bringing in the consultants to help. You got to make sure you're bringing in people that really have a track record of making this complex body of work simple and fun and collaborative and something that really is going to brand well within your enterprise. There, the other thing that in addition to organizations not having customized innovation initiatives that make it fail, they, the second biggest reason that these initiatives fail is they're not really designed to fit the unique and dynamic culture of a specific enterprise. If you don't do that, if you don't square it up and make it complete, it's guaranteed to fail. You know, and to your point that, you know, we need to glean, gather more data to be able to have good, sensible takeaways so we can develop from the voice of the customer. Sometimes, though, with all the data that we've got, it's still a failure. I mean, sometimes there's there's art and then there's science and it gets a little tricky at times. I mean, how do you work with that sort of ghost unknown of what people like or what worked out well? I mean, some of the uh, latest sort of uh, electronic gadgets and so forth. I don't know, a lot of people never saw it coming. Some of the greatest business minds had never seen some of these enterprise, including uh, organizations like Uber. No one saw it coming. How do you manage the unknown like that? Well, I think that, you know, again, there, there, unfortunately, there is no absolute guarantee you're not going to get blindsided. But the, the reason that I keep pushing the term collaboration and co-creation is that when you have many, many people that are facing the problems and facing the opportunities, um, you're going to significantly increase your ability to really have some impact on the way in which you serve those, those customers. But, you know, therein lies the problem, right, is that the problem with innovation is that it is it is fueled by failure. And failure, of course, is the one thing that an organization doesn't want to do. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Right, so where it's uncomfortable. And that's why we really have to. And when you look at, you know, at Uber, you know, it and, and Uber is a good example of innovations of moments and, and the other powerful way. You know, Uber is, is created moments of movement, you know, block or Netflix created moments of movies. You've got, um, you know, Amazon that's created moments of merchandise. You've got Apple that's created moments of machines. The moments are the biggest opportunity. The way in which we engage customers and create beautiful experiences across their journey, across a range of personas is really the low-hanging fruit. But, yeah, failure happens in innovation, but you, and, and that's why you have to create an environment that encourages courage. It's hard to do, but it's fundamentally necessary. Yeah, and I think we all want products that are going to last forever. It's difficult for, and again, I think it's with the older management group is if we come up with a great device, it's got legs, it's going to build into the future. And I think a younger perspective is that, look, these are isolated pockets of prosperity. These don't necessarily sustain over time. And it's very disappointing for, for people like us. We believe that things should stick and they should last. Whereas the sort of next generation sees these things as isolated, cellularized, um, as you called it, moments that'll expire. You have to be on the next next idea. Right. That, that, but you have to be on your way to inventing your next big thing before you launch your next big thing. 
Exactly. Well, I know you have a very busy schedule and uh, we arrange this in very short notice. So I'm just going to ask you one final question before you go. What in your opinion of uh, the future of medical device and healthcare technology space? What do you see on the horizon? I think that uh, basically there is one thing that we know for sure is that when things can connect, they deliver more value. If something can be connected, it will be connected. And when it's connected, it will deliver more patient value. We're going to make a major shift in healthcare where we transmute from diagnosis and treatment into anticipatory healthcare and prevention. 70 to 80% of all the costs in healthcare come from self-inflicted chronic disease. Uh, We now even have a term for it. We call it lifestyle disease. In order for us to have the ability to cover the cost of the future of healthcare, when you combine the epidemiology of chronic disease with the, the, the reality of the silver tsunami of having a broadly um, uh, aging population, we have to be able to anticipate disease and, and intervene early on. So wearable technologies that are aggregating artificial intelligence, the connection of technologies, that's really where some of the biggest opportunities are. Thanks so much for sharing that. And how can, if someone wants to light that spark in their company and needs an innovation helper, how can they get a hold of you? Well, the new innovation mandate uh, is available on Amazon for pre-order. Uh, or if they would like some information about our consulting services, they can go to WeSellSuccess.com. Uh, and you can go to NickWeb.com for speaking uh, to inquire regarding speaking engagements. Great. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Sterile Device Packaging on Track Radio. Thank you for listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. Make sure and subscribe to our podcast today so you will never miss out on our latest episode. If there is a subject you would like us to cover, or if you are an expert yourself and would like to be considered for an upcoming episode, then just drop us a line at info at spotradiopodcast.com. Thanks again for listening in. From all of us at Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, have a great day.